it takes having those conversations because for so many people who grow up in urban communities, you know, their mother and grandmother might be diehard Democrats. And when they go to family events, that's all they see are diehard Democrats. And we think that, you know, one day they're going to turn around and vote Republican because we ran, you know, two weeks of interesting ads. And so we have to have and be part of those conversation and start showing up. And that's one thing that back under Reince Priebus that they really started doing, but we need to kind of 10X that because I think when we can change hearts and minds in urban and now even suburban communities, that's how we will do even better at the ballot box. And it's, you know, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think that we have better ideas and better policy solutions to help folks. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to Political Contessa. I am Jennifer Nassor, and I am your Political Contessa. Today, I have a guest with me that I was fortunate enough to be introduced to about a year ago, and just happened to become someone who I wanted to be friends with. I just thought she was kind of one of the coolest women that I got to meet in politics and in my career. And I like collecting friends around the country that do similar things that I do. And so it's always exciting to me to meet someone who is another woman, another mom, another career person, someone else who has sat on the Republican National Committee, knows the the kind of wonky, dorky details of the inside of Republican politics. But Also, for me, another woman who has run for office and put herself out there, you know, had to explain to her family, this is something she's passionate about. So I would like to bring in my guest today, Jill Homan. Jill is a mom of two and a conservative and a Christian and a business owner. And she is from North Carolina, which is kind of my adopted state since my daughter goes to college down there. So welcome, Jill. Thanks so much for having me and right back at you. So thank you for the such kind words. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. It really is a it is a pleasure to meet. And I do so much with women around the country through Women's Public Leadership Network and my own organization, Pocketbook Project. And, you know, sometimes you see these other women that you've only you only really see on Zoom because we're across the country and you see them in person. It's like you just hug each other. It's like we yeah. all know what it's like to yeah. be in this position because for some reason, as women, you know, having a uterus or, you know, different genital parts than men, we are supposed to be Democrats and we're supposed to be liberal and we're supposed to just like spew 
you know, mushy, gushy BS and not actually talk about issues like the economy or what it's like to run a household or, you know, anything that has any sort of intellectual theme to it. So, Jill, how how did you get into politics? Why did you get into politics? Yeah, so I appreciate all your work to do to support women running for office. Um, That's fantastic. Got into politics when I was in college, and I took, I up to this point, really thought I was politically interested, but, you know, really was not engaged at all. And in college, I took a macroeconomics course, and it was history of the economy. And it was at that point, I think I had a conservative teacher, because at that point, he really kind of dismantled, I would say, some of my worldview. And I was really intrigued and and really started watching the news and really the business networks. And, and that really changed things for me and realized that my political beliefs aligned with the Republican Party. And that also floored my sister, who then realized she was outnumbered with with my parents and me becoming uh, Republicans. So, and so out of that, I moved back home because that's what you do when you graduate college and started, I reached out to, I was looking for things to do. And I just got, I got a job and I also reached out to our county executive so Maryland's set up so that all the counties are run by a county executive. And I reached out to him because he was running for governor. And I thought that, you know, goodness, he is, he did so much for a county. He turned it around. We did have a deficit and then we had a surplus. We had poor performing schools. And afterwards, after his tenure, we had some of the best schools in the count, in the state of Maryland. And I thought, well, surely this guy should become governor. And that's when I also learned my first political lesson that the best candidate doesn't always win. So it was after that experience, I really stayed, you know, it's one thing, I'll just tell you a quick story. It was, we lost the election, okay, in the primary. And, and, And what stinks about working and having that be your job is that then, you know, your candidate loses and then you lose your job. So that stinks. And then I stayed involved and helped the Republican nominee. And then we lost on election day. And so that also happened to be my birthday. And it was like midnight. I'm driving home. It's my birthday. We lost. And then out of nowhere, a skunk runs in front of my car. And I see, I'll never forget this, see out of, and I, one of these people I break for squirrels, I can't help it. And I see out of my a rearview mirror, like image of a skunk shooting out. So I hit him and I felt so bad. And then the smell. Oh, no. And it was one of these, you know, you go home, you tell your mom, you know, lost my, you know, my candidate lost. It's my birthday. I hit a skunk and election cycle of losing the job was just really fermented. And even in spite of that, I stayed involved and folks in a congressional office of Bob Ehrlich a Republican con- congressman from Maryland heard about the work that I was doing and um, got a job with them. And that led to a, being a press secretary and legislative assistant on Capitol Hill. And out of that work experience, after I left the Hill, all of my political experience has been volunteer. And so that's when I ultimately, through my career, ended back in D.C. and I ran for Republican National Committee woman. Um, but you kind of take all the lessons learned 
that you, you know, that you make along the way. And it helps make for a, a, a stronger campaign. But those were some of the early kind of political experiences and, you know, hitting the skunk and on your birthday and losing was really a, a nice moment. Oh, God, <laughs> that's a double whammy. I don't, yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, triple whammy. I don't even know what's worse, like not getting the paycheck, not your person you really, you know, like and hope yeah. is going to win doesn't win or the smell that you can't get. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And when you're 20 something, it was like, you know, that was that was bad. So, oh, God, but you stayed involved. I and stayed so and most of mine you know, worked on a campaign. The last one, that was my job. He unfortunately lost. He won the primary. He lost a general and it was soul crushing and same thing. It was like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to just go practice law, which (laughs) this is over. And I never looked back and the the last campaign I, I mean, other than volunteering on was my own campaign. So, but your experience doing that obviously gave you the bug to stay involved and to run for national committee woman. I mean, I think it's so inside baseball, the RNC. Explain why you wanted to run for national committee woman and what a national committee woman actually does. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would just start first with the reason I became politically active is that I saw that so many decisions that impact our everyday life happen, you know, through whether local or national laws. And I'm one that the way to impact change is to get involved. And and then, you, you know, that's kind of what led to it all. In terms of the RNC, so all of my, after leaving the Hill, I volunteered for a number of campaigns. What was really terrific is when you're showing up as a volunteer and you have a lot of political experience and you're not looking for a job afterwards, you really have some cool opportunities to do some fun things. So I, for example, formed an an organization called Women for Coleman. And that was, I was living in Minnesota and it was a grassroots coalition of women supporters supporting Norm Coleman for US Senate and he won. And so there's just some really fun things you can do on campaigns. And I was, you know, working full-time as a job and had no hobbies, but would do this. And so when I found myself in DC, I had some friends, uh, one friend in particular, who worked at the RNC. And I really was not, I was involved with party politics, but more as, you know, means to work with campaigns. And so he really broke it down for how the RNC works and how it works in relation to political parties. And so the Republican National Committee is comprised of 168 members. And so if you think of them, it's been described to me as effectively like the board of directors for the Republican Party. And so we would approve all of the budgets. We set the rules for how we elect our presidential nominee and you know how we apportion delegates. We also decide where the convention will be held and a host of other items. So it's super inside baseball. But those 168 come from the 50 states, the five territories in Washington, D.C. And so when you think about it, and so they're, they're the Republican National Committee man, Republican National Committee woman, and the chair of the party. And so when you think about it, Texas with three members, you know, Washington, D.C. has three members, American Samoa, three members, Massachusetts, three members. And so it's very interesting. And And, and so how the states elect those three members are decided by the state. 
And in D.C., where I was living at the time, it's a citywide race on the ballot in the Republican primary. And so there were about 40,000 registered Republicans in the district. It was a citywide race. And so I ran a grassroots campaign knocking on, you know, several thousand doors, hosting events. And and what was kind of funny is there's a lot of explanation of like, what exactly are you running for? And nobody's knocked on my door ever before for this. And unfortunately, Republicans don't all live next door to each other. So I just, I ran it as a, you know, every day out knocking doors. And it was what was interesting. And the chairman at the time would joke that our race for national committee woman was probably the most interesting race in the district. And that cycle out of all the primary races, even though people were focused on the run for mayor, because it was, I was running against someone who had been endorsed by the former national committee woman. And so I just came in with, you know, I'm not going to be outworked and I'm going to do what I need to do to fundraise. So, and so we won. And, and, and then after my second term was not opposed. And so that was a lot more fun running when you're not opposed. So, but, you know, out of that experience, I learned also a lot when you're talking to like 3000 Republicans at their door from all parts of the district, you learn a lot about what urban Republicans think. And and they also were just really energized by our work in candidate recruitment and what we were doing to grow the party. And so, you know, I'm always going to be an advocate for parties investing in urban communities because I think we have, as conservatives, we have better policy solutions. And I'll just tell share a quick story and then I'll stop talking. But one quick story was. You know, I've I've been yelled and called all sorts of names. And so I have I have no problem with standing outside, you know, a supermarket and collecting signatures and stuff. So I had this gentleman come up to me and he he started giving me a hard time and and I was trying to collect signatures to get a candidate on the ballot. And and he said, you know, you know, Republicans and started insulting the party. And I, I did the proverbial like let me just ask you a question. Like, how's your personal situation? I did the proverbial, are you better off now than you were four years ago? And he stopped and he said, no. And I said, can I just share a few things about what we'd like in the district? And he said, yeah, that'd be great. And I talked about, you know, we'd like for there to be more jobs closer to where people live. So you don't have to take two buses to get to, you know, downtown. And and we talked about lower taxes and 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 so out of that experience, he stopped and he's like, give me that position. I'm going to sign it. And I think it takes having those conversations because for so many people who grow up in urban communities, you know, their mother and grandmother might be diehard Democrats. And when they go to family events, that's all they see are diehard Democrats. And we think that, you know, one day they're going to turn around and vote Republican because we ran, you know, two weeks of interesting ads. And so we have to have and be part of those conversation and start showing up. And that's one thing that back under Reince Priebus that they really started doing, but we need to kind of 10X that because I think when we can change hearts and minds in urban and now even suburban communities, that's how we will do even better at the ballot box. And it's, you know, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think that we have better ideas and better policy solutions to help folks. Absolutely. You know, it's so it's so amazing because you understand being a Republican in an urban area. And 
I was just having this conversation with someone about the mayor of Boston, who is like, you know, a mold of Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, you know, that kind of very progressive politics. And she has been imposing all these restrictions and regulations on green energy on the builders. But at the same time, she wants affordable housing. Well, it's... I don't know about you, but here's how I view capitalism. If you're not going to make any money off of it, then you're probably not going to do it. (laughs) So if we need affordable housing, we have lots of empty office buildings right now. You can make affordable housing in those buildings that are already built. And then you have to figure out with the builders, if you want to impose the these new regulations, how to do it maybe in a different market, not one where interest rates are increasingly going up and you know prices are still incredibly high. Also, we have in Boston, there's no quality public transportation. So instead of trying to move people into areas where they don't have jobs, how about right find find where they can live and work in the same community, you know, because there's unless there's a better public yeah. transportation system we just don't have it. We were built so early on. And so there are so many ideas. I mean, we have a mayor that would like to have uh, legalized injection sites, which is not helpful to the community. And and people are just, they're more and more addicted, more and more homeless. And so I always think, well, you know, maybe we should talk to some Republicans. And when I ran for city council, I had so many ideas on you know affordable housing for teachers and police officers and firefighters who are working in your community so that yeah. way they can actually live and work because they should be integrated into the community and so many people loved my ideas until they said because our newspaper made a big you know case over the fact I was a republican you're the democrat right no it's nonpartisan yeah, well, if you're a Republican, then yeah, but you liked all of my ideas, right? So it's like yeah. the the and I always say we have really great messages. Our messengers aren't always wonderful, but when we have a really good messenger with a really good message, it's almost like we need the rest of the party and national, you know, national news to be on our side and say, you know what, they're actually not all bad, and it's not yeah. even just in the urban areas. But you see in suburbia where sometimes people don't actually leave suburbia to see what goes on anywhere else. And they're living in their bubble. And it just sounds good to have all these, like like I said earlier, these mushy, gushy phrases. But yet at the same time, how is that helping anyone? It's going to sound good, but we need to actually implement policies that are lifting people up by their bootstraps. And, And I think what you were saying about like you had your paying job, but, you know, it's as you get older, hobbies are, you know, it's not like we're going after school and playing soccer or, you know, playing softball. Like sometimes, you know, you just want to do something enriching. Working on a campaign is enriching. Being able to just stand out and collect signatures is really enriching. So, I love that you that you pointed that out, because I think that that's a really cool like you don't have to work in politics to be involved. Well, even just um, one of the biggest needs in campaigns is for candidates to meet people. 
And so one of the best things somebody can do is just host a party of their neighbors and invite candidate to come in and meet their neighbors. That's golden and and is just really, really invaluable for you, you know, for someone to just, you know, show the candidate and have the candidate meet their neighbors. My one idea, so this is something that if I was to ever be elected to city council, which I'm not ever running for city council, but my my one idea would be that you know, nobody, and particularly in cities, but no city council member should ever be able to collect a salary until they can p- pass Finance 101 and Economics 101. I because love that. so much of what they do, it just defies economics. You're like, okay, let me make it really hard for developers to build. And like, you got to do this and you got to show up here and you got to talk to these citizens groups. You have to pay off these groups. You have to do this and this and this. And mind you, like you're paying your lawyer, you're paying your architect and everything to go through this whole arduous process that they make really difficult to get out the other end. And then they scratch their head and they say, why is housing so expensive? You're like, well, you just made it really difficult. And now we had to pay everybody. And oh, by the way, you know, to build below grade parking, it costs $70,000 a space. And, And so it's just, they make it really hard to build buildings. And then they, when they mandate affordable housing requirements, we're going to have 20% of your units as affordable. It's like a balloon. So you grab this balloon and then it just grows out the other end. And so all you're doing is putting upward pressure on rents. And so it's just, I get so frustrated with the approach to affordable housing from progressives. And it just, it just puts fuel on the fire and it makes problems worse. Right. Let me add rent control. You're like, well, that, that's look how, look how well that's worked. Right. <laughs> so, they, they just did that too. And, yeah. you know, there's always a, a push to charge a surcharge on, on sales. So that way you pay more money. Our mayor in Boston is trying to get rid of a major a lane on a major street that goes through Boston and make it a bike lane. Yeah, now, that's the next one. Let's yeah. let's just note that the weather is only good in Boston for about four months a year. Four months, no snow, no sleet, no rain, yeah. right? Maybe not no rain. But if you have a family and you live in the city and you have a family of four, your kids go to school four miles away or your job is five miles away, like... The, the driving a bike in the snow in January when it could be 12 degrees <laughs> yeah. seems to me like we're getting rid of bike lanes, but we can have contractors double parked on streets and we have bicyclists that don't actually use the bike lanes that actually exist already, but we don't care about the residents and where they could maybe park their cars. We don't care yeah. about the business owners and the fact that they are losing clients customers because they can't park anywhere. So uh, the whole thing is unbelievable, but it really goes back to like Republicans cannot, especially urban Republicans, cannot have their voices stifled because they're afraid to say something that makes complete sense. And I think just on the economy, we always win that argument. It is hard to argue against smart ideas for economics Mm -hmm. and for upward mobility. And that's, at least for me, that's the whole idea is, you know, 
everyone's families came, ancestors came to the US for a better life to seek a better life. And so we should be helping people with that upward mobility. I think fundamentally, the Democrat Party and the Republican Party, where we where our differences as it relates to the economy is fundamentally, the Democrat Party does not think that the money you make by being paid for your labor, your ideas and your investments is yours. The Democratic Party, they talk about, well, I created this and we created that. You're like, you, you didn't. You didn't like create Amazon, Amazon's whatever, $2,000, 2000 jobs, but they fundamentally think the money is, is theirs. And Republicans think that the money is the people. And then with that, the next thought is, okay, government knows best on how to spend the money and decides how much money to then enable people to keep. Whereas Republicans think that these are earned from the work of the people and that the people know best on what's best for their families. And we decide how much is allowed to function government. And sometimes, you know, pull back too much or sometimes you overshoot a little bit. Um, but that's fundamental differences of the party. And, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that, you know, particularly women and suburban women, I just think all day long, we should be telling that story because it's just, for me, it's offensive that someone thinks what I do belongs to the government. 1,000%. Yes. Yes. It feels a little handmade tally. Yeah. <laughs> so going off of this and the fact that, you know, I think that you and I could basically run the country and and everything would be fine. People would be making money and and we'd have all this all, all these people seeing the political world the way that we do. But we have this really fun interesting election coming up in 2024. Democrats, you know, have a very limited field and they've already, you know, essentially picked Biden and Harris as their as their team, which it's like, you know, weekend at Bernie's and I don't know Clueless. There we go. Yeah. Weekend at Bernie's meets Clueless. That's that's, that's the great. team there. And that's not being, you know, I'm not, I, I feel bad. I actually feel bad for Biden. I have to say, like, I can't watch. I, like, I can't, I it's sad. Them. It's sad. It's like elder abuse. Like, why would his wife and his family let him do this? Why would his people around him let him do this? I can't imagine he has the cognitive function to to have an ego at this point. It's just like, you should go do this because we're all making money off of you. It just feels mean, but whatever. And I'm also very concerned that Biden's going to win and be inaugurated and then he's going to drop dead or be deemed incompetent. And then we have her who is, you know, the fact she can't conjugate a sentence is just remarkable to me that when you just listen to those clips, (laughs) it's always the funniest thing. Yeah. But on our side, we have this very, very full field and we have a lot of really impressive candidates and, you know, especially some of the younger, newer candidates, you know, and and I always kind of look at the Vivek, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley group, right? Because they're all, well, Vivek's really young, but, you know, Tim, Scott, Nikki Haley, they're in their 50s and they have a lot to say. And it's just, I'm hoping that we're generating newer voters by having these younger, more diverse voices out there. And a lot of it has really been focused on 
lifting up the country and where their families have come from being immigrants or, you know, being in poverty and how their opportunities help them to get to the positions that they've been in, I think is really remarkable for mm-hmm. our party to just expand the discussion of of what republicanism means, what conservatism means, what newer leaders are thinking of, because I also think even if it was Trump that was the nominee, it gives him some things to think about that have been showcased. So what are your thoughts? You don't have to say who you're supporting or anything, but what are your thoughts on 2024 on messaging on how we could woo what we were talking about before, those suburban female voters and and also you know, people of color to to come and and vote on the Republican side? Well, I think the first thing um, I think is, regardless of which candidate people like, I would love to have a group shot of all the declared candidates, like a group shot. And, And so this will date me, but I think, you know, we look like the United Kellers of Benetton. And this isn't because we're like, well, we need a left-handed African-American man who, you know, like favors his right foot when he walks. But but rather, this is like we said, if you want to run for office, run for office. And you get, you know, Will Hurd, you get the mayor from Miami, Vivek, Nikki Haley, Senator Tim Scott. And all of these people are just phenomenal communicators and and really are able, and I think they can tell, and each of them have their different strengths, but, you know, you take someone like Senator Tim Scott, and he tells the story of being raised by a single mother and benefiting from a successful businessman who became his mentor to the point that he is now a U.S. senator. And what's interesting is this whole, like, optimism and opportunity message translates into Senator Scott's legislation. And so he has his whole theme is all about opportunity. And and I just think all of our candidates are inspiring and and very strong. You know, someone like Will Hurd with his international background. And I think regardless of what people say about Trump, I think, you know, you look at where people were personally under the Trump administration and how they're able to provide for their families versus all this uncertainty that we have now. And so I just think we have an, an incredible lineup of candidates. And, and then you contrast that with the octogenarian set of Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Joe Biden. And, and quite honestly, it's elitist. And they don't want the you know next generation. It's like, you know, cling to power until the power's threatened, then you know, negotiate a transition. But I think ours and our party is very much welcoming. And I think particularly even now is if candidates, you know, want to run for office, get involved with your local party. That's really the the surest pathway there. But um, back to the field, I'm inspired by who we have running. I think the debates will be fantastic. I don't think we need a dozen debates, but I think, you know, if we get a couple debates, but I think it would be awesome to showcase the different ideas that the candidates have. And and for me, I'm proud to be associated with the lineup of candidates that that we have. I think that's fantastic versus trying to defend oneself to, you know, that you can't do any better than Joe Biden. That's so it's crazy. I mean, I'm not 
I, I, I do not agree with this person's politics or policies at all, but just saying from, if I had to look at the landscape of what we have, because I agree with you dating myself, it's like the United colors of Benetton and Francis Suarez, mayor of Miami has done an amazing job with Miami. The city of Miami is safer. It's cleaner. People are bringing their businesses in there from Silicon Valley to medicine. I mean, they finance all coming to Miami. I heard him speak and he said they have 650, 650, 650 homeless people in the city of Miami. And they know who every single homeless person is and where they like to stay. And they're trying to get them homes and they're trying to get them jobs. I mean, that's impressive, right? And so- yeah. Again, like he's in his 40s, DeSantis is in his 40s, Vivek is in his late 30s. To have the this group of people out there changes the conversation on our side. And on the other side, like Biden doesn't even want to debate Kennedy, you know, and Kennedy, I think, is only in there because he's praying to God <laughs> Biden dies before the primary. So then his name oh. is on the ballot. I mean, it's it's really sad. But what I was saying was, Someone like Gretchen Whitmere, who I, again, I don't agree with at all, but wouldn't it be more interesting to see a Gretchen Whitmere go and debate a Nikki Haley than to see a Joe Biden on stage? Who's he debating? And how, again, it's going to be pathetic when the Republican nominee beats him to a pulp because he gets flustered and he is not paying attention to what was written for him and he is going off script. It's going to be a really interesting state of affairs. But I think what's really important is what you were saying before. Are you better today than you were four years ago? And, you know, the answer is no. And if you see the uptick in crime, the uptick in violence, the uptick in, you know, homelessness and in drug abuse, you see people flooding over our borders. What do you do with them when it comes to the healthcare system? How do we employ people? Why are we encouraging everyone to go to college because we're going to give them money to go to college instead of building up trade schools and the trades yeah. and making sure that there's enough people working from arms to being electricians and plumbers. I mean, God help me, like to find an electrician or a plumber is nearly yeah. impossible. Right? It's like the things you can't do on your own. And instead, it's like they want to try to the Democrats peers is trying to continuously suppress people, whereas Republican policies are trying to be more innovative. And I'm really hoping that this even though, you know, there's a lot of and when I put on my party chair hat, it's like I'd really rather just be a two person race than have all these folks out there. But the thing about having all these voices out there is that they're new and they're fresh and they're interesting and they're not afraid to come up with their ideas, even if you think that could never happen. I think it will be a really interesting election cycle. And I'm really excited for the for the first debate to see what happens and who starts to shine out of that. Yeah. And I would just, I would just add that the rules are in contrast to the democratic party, the Republican party, the RNC, the, the people who run it aren't in trying to influence or put the weight of the scales for any one candidate. There's a process and, and that all the candidates are going to go through all the candidates know what it takes to get on the debate stage. And it's a fair process. And I think at the end of it, you know, if you end up with a Republican nominee 
for Trump, I would just encourage folks to look at the question, are you better off? And also, is America more secure? And I think, quite honestly, you know, we all know what's happening with the war in Ukraine uh, with Russia. But another data point you had, I just read in the Wall Street Journal, you had um, Russian ships and Chinese ships entered Alaskan waters because there's now a lot of fight over towards Alaska and the Arctic and, and trying to stake territorial grounds there. But it's just stuff that you couldn't imagine ever happening under a Republican administration. And so I just keep that in mind as folks head to the ballot box. Like a Chinese balloon that is flying over the United yeah, States and exactly. doesn't get shot down until it's, you know, outside of South Carolina. I feel like that feels unsafe to me. Yeah. And that's why, me. yeah, we're ready in North Carolina for another Chinese spy balloon. <laughs> my neighbors are ready to go. So looking out your window. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not gonna my neighbor, one of them's a Marine and the other is a police officer. And let's just say wouldn't make it out of our, our neck of the woods, that's for sure. Oh. I love it. Well, Jill, this has been so wonderful. It's so good to have you on because I feel like you are just such a kindred soul to my political soul and and I can talk to you for hours because your career path has been so similar to mine. And it's just really fun, again, yeah. to have another woman from another part of the country who just has the the passion for politics and, and you won't let anyone stifle your voice. And, and it's not a mean, harsh voice. It's a voice of reason and reality. And we need more of that. We need more of that in the party. And like I said, you, you are one of the people I think is a really good messenger with a really phenomenal message. So, so please keep it up. Thank you so much. Right back at you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here with me today on Political Contessa on this episode with Jill Homan. Really appreciate you listening in. And as always, please stay happy, healthy, and safe. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Contessa.com.